0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. That's a great joy uh, for us to come and visit the church here. We've been... Come into the church, to this Cork church. Since it opened, and uh, before it opened, <laughs> we were praying for it, and praying for Nick and Catherine. And I want to say to you that uh, you know we're friends for 40 years, I think. And uh, there's something. Beautiful and long-term friendships, you know. Amongst my chief possessions, or most important things in my life, I count my friends, you know. Ben Siriac said nothing can be taken in exchange for a great friend. And Nick and Catherine are great friends to Corrie and I, and we love them very much, and, you know, I love the church, and we, during the COVID period, you know, on Sunday morning, we would settle down, and we would tune in here, because the worship was so beautiful, and being shut off from the church, and not being able to meet, and we would tune in here, uh, and we would be so blessed, you know, and our hearts of always uh, regularly uh, travel here uh, in thought uh, and in love and it's been a privilege to serve with Mickey and uh, you know uh, God gave me the idea after many days of prayer for the Summer Fire Conference, we had conducted conference for 12 or 13 years before that and and as soon as I phoned Nikki he said, you know, that, that's wonderful, Mike, you know. And, you know, uh, God gave me the idea, but he gave me Nikki to develop it. <laughs> and it's been great to serve together. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. You thank God uh, for the great friends that God brings into your life, you know, and Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's his idea and not ours. And I've been thinking, you know, about uh, one of the wonderful aspects of the redeemed church of Jesus is that, you know, we occupy a special place and a wonderful place in the universe of God. And, and it's just a wonderful fact. You know, God, from his first thoughts about man, is that, you know, man would be an important part of the eternal future for God and his regime church together. Of course, this fact doesn't take anything away from the position of the angels. We know they are indescribably beautiful and very majestic and obviously very powerful. I mean, in the days of uh, Hezekiah and Isaiah, when they were under the siege of Sennacherib, God sent one angel, and that one angel put to death 180,000, 83,000 of the Sumerian soldiers that were surrounding uh, Jerusalem. And Jesus, as he is approaching the cross and praying, you know, my father if possible, please let this cup pass from me. But he also says, you know, I know that for this purpose I have come to this hour. But he passes a very interesting comment. Could I not now, he said, ask of my father for six legions of angels so it shows how powerful they were in other words the implication being that they could destroy the forces of Rome and destroy uh, the Jewish power present at that time and it wouldn't be difficult for them so it just shows the uh, the amazing power of the angels when they are sent for a particular purpose and you know but uh that being, the seraphim we see are closely associated with the ministering around the throne of God. And their wings, you know, six wings are uh, covering the throne, as it were, shielding They're the glory of God. And so, in a sense, they constitute part of the court of the King of Kings. And yet exalted as they are, wonder of wonders, they are totally outranked by the most humble of the born again people who are redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. You know, and you know one of the wonderful things about the creation of the human being is that he is created bearing the image of God. Of course, it's speaking uh, morally, firstly, and also intellectually. That Adam and Eve are the pinnacle of God's creation and the image being reflected that to a degree man can also uh, create lovely things in Music and and all sorts of lovely things that that man can make. But the highest faculty is that man can choose. And it's that power to choose. And it's that power to choose to love God or to reject God. You see, that makes him most uh, like God. And man, of course, at his best, and his best use of his, his faculties are when he is given glory to God and worshipping him. Of course, we know the sad story of after the creation of Adam and Eve. And, you know, they, they must have been very beautiful. And it must have been very, very beautiful in the Garden of Eden, because though man lost the Garden of Eden, since that, throughout history, people in different ways have always tried to recapitulate in a degree the glory of the setting of the Garden of Eden and when you, excuse me, when you see wealthy, successful people and they build a beautiful house, what is the first thing they do? They attempt to create a beautiful garden because that was what was lost in the fall of man: those beautiful surroundings. And I am always uh, uh, amazed at the statement. Uh, that the writer to the Hebrews uh, mentions in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16. He says, truly, uh, Jesus, as it were, did not take on himself uh, the nature of angels. Although we would often think that they're higher order than us. God didn't see it that way said, truly Jesus did not take on himself the nature of angels, but took on the seed of Abraham. What a wonderful, wonderful statement, you see. It was not possible for Jesus to become incarnate in the form of an angel because angels that uh, were not made Uh, In the image of God. And neither did they bear uh, the image of man. They were made for a different different purpose. Only Adam was created in the image of God. And it was a fantastic creation. Uh, From God's point of view, what a wonderfully complex being. The human being is, and it would be ludicrous to think that the Almighty would bring His image into man in installments as the evolutionists would suggest. So when you read in the story that the Holy Spirit is uh, bringing to us of the creation of man, He's painting a picture in words. You can paint pictures uh, through paints and a canvas and bring a a very lucid uh, picture to people. But also we paint pictures with words. And there are many uh, wonderful artists uh, who painted brilliant pictures with words. Uh, Robert Stevenson and Tolstoy were great artists with words and Shakespeare and many others. And so the Holy Spirit is telling us the story of the creation of man, the instantaneous uh, creation. Man could not come in parts. The body could never function. And so it's it's a wonderful Wonderful work on God's part. And he breathed the breath of life. I was reading one uh, scientist recently. He said even if we came to the place, he said, where we could make something like a body, he said we still could not get a life to live in it and a personality to represent it. You see... Because man is so utterly complex. I was reading the other day that within the normal person, there are 20,000 different proteins in the body of the human being. And these proteins are uh, produced through the DNA through the information in the DNA in the cell of the human being I'm not scientific or anything like that I just enjoy uh, looking at it and you know in this reflection of man we see it's also in form when we go to the book of Daniel and chapter 7 and we Reading there uh, about the vision of God the Father and God the Son that the Lord gave to Daniel. And here we read about the Ancient of Days and we see the form, as it were, like a human being. We see that the Ancient of Days was seated and a garment as white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. And the, the, the throne was a fiery flame and its wheels burning with fire and a fire, fiery stream issued forth and came forth from before him. And a thousand and ten thousands of thousands ministered to him. Absolutely wonderful. And so we see that he is a person and we are his reflection. And what's wonderful here actually is we have a picture of the glorious father and we have a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. And they are together here in the throne as they are at the moment and always will be. Hallelujah. And we are going to join them. Praise the name of the Lord. And it says here, I was watching the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given a dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples should worship him. And that's what we were doing this morning. And it's the most wonderful thing that we can do. And so we see these two uh, uh, figures in the Godhead before Jesus is revealed on earth. And so God breathed the breath of life into man, and he receives the image of God. Of course, man is revealed completely. So God is revealed in both Adam uh, and Eve. And so what a wonderful, wonderful work that God uh, created there. And when you have time, you read Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. And there we receive a vision of Jesus, and he is pictured exactly the same as the Ancient of Days is pictured here. We see in the full glory of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 and from Uh, verse 12. And so this spiritual image uh, is created as God created the life of man with the propensity for face-to-face fellowship with God. Adam and Eve are God's masterpiece. They are the only being on the face of the earth that walks upright and has two hands and two feet. And I believe this, uh, uh, walking erect, as it were, and standing erect and two hands and two feet, And we see our Saviour has that too. And, you know, we are made, as it were, for face-to-face, Fellowship with the Almighty. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says where the Word was with God. It's the preposition that is indicating to us a face-to-face fellowship with the Almighty. And of course, uh, the greatest miracle, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. He's bringing a wonderful dignity to the human race and has elevated the redeemed church beyond the highest rank of angels. And, you know, this is why I think, you know, God... Uh, was going to protect the human being that he had created from any uh, pollution of outside forces. And I was thinking of this in regard to Genesis chapter 6, and it says that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and chose as many as they wanted uh, for wives, you see, or took wives to themselves of all whom they chose. And I think to understand this, we need to look at the background because immediately after this is quoted, God said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. And when you just look across to the previous Chapter, we see that people are living uh, for a great length of time. They mentioned several people here Enosh and Enoch and Methuselah, and two of those mentioned lived for about 800 years. And you see, of course, you know what I noticed before I became a Christian. And I became a Christian at the age of 22. What I noticed was that every year that I lived, I became worse because I knew nothing of the grace of God. And can you imagine people living for 800 years and if they weren't righteous, the depths of evil that they would touch. And I think uh, the term sons of God, it is used three times in the Bible. And it is used uh, after the creation of Adam, Luke, in his records uh, of his genealogy, he goes back to Adam and he says, Adam was the son of God. And here we find this talk about the sons of God, it's really the sons of Adam. If you read it any other way, the passage doesn't make sense. But it was because of the great age of these people, and because then uh, they were uh, taking uh, many wives to themselves, the Lord was grieved over this uh, polygamy. It was the flagrant abuse of women and uh, this polygamy that grieved God because of the length of time that men were living and God said, I will reduce the years of his life to 120. You see, and what he's saying is, he says his years shall be 120. And 20, because he is flesh, you see. And it's saying here again that the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bought children, and some of them were mighty men of old. Well, of course, there were going to be people who were great because, you know, after living so long, there were going to be, They're great people. If you imagine, you know, if you try to put that in our context, and you take a man like Methuselah, at 900 years, the Reformation was in the 15th century. And if Methuselah had lived in our time, that means he would have been living 300 years before Martin Luther and living to our present day now. Can you imagine such a thing? And you see, this is why God is coming and he's saying, and the years of man shall be a hundred and twenty years. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the intent of his thoughts, of his heart was evil continually. Now, notice that in these references, there are no references to angels because they were not angels. They, the term is the sons of God, but it's the use of the sons of Adam. And if you don't translate it like that, it makes utter nonsense of the passage. And it says here, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. In these eight verses, from verse 1 to verse 8, using nouns and pronouns, there are eight references to man. But there are no references to angel. And that's because it wasn't the angels, it was men interacting uh, with ladies as men do. and the angels couldn't do it. you see because uh, Jesus telling the story in uh, Matthew, and it's chapter 22 and it's verse 29 and The Sadducees had come to Jesus with a hypothetical story about a lady uh, who had been married seven times to seven brothers because of the custom in Israel uh, prior to the cross that if a lady was married and her husband died prematurely, that the brother could take her and hope to raise up a family through her It it was important because it meant that that family would not miss the opportunity of contributing, perhaps, to the coming of the Messiah that was to come through Israel. And so the Sadducees, bringing this hypothetical story, said that all seven brothers married to this lady and died and finally The lady died, and they they said, in in heaven, whose husband will she be? And Jesus said, you know, you don't know the Scriptures, he said, and neither do you know the power of God. And there's something lovely there in that. Because, you see, what it's saying to us is, it's, it's an object lesson. From the Lord Jesus, he's telling us, have you won power in your life? You meditate in the word of God, dear night. He's saying to them, you don't know the scriptures. Neither do you know the power of God. And he said, he said in the future, he said they will be like the angels, Jesus said. And he said, the angels are neither given in marriage or taken in marriage. There's no marriage relationship uh, amongst angels. They don't need it. They have no desire for that. They are spiritual. They are made in the form of angels and not made in the form of man who's made in the image of God. So God wouldn't allow it, you see. And... It was impossible. Jesus said it is, you see, there are two things that angels don't do that man does. Angels don't procreate. <laughs> you never saw a picture of baby angels anywhere in the scriptures because there weren't any. <laughs> and the reason why there weren't any is because they weren't like us. Because angels don't die. You see, those two things uh, are significant. uh, Distinction between men and angels. And you see, there's another thing as well. You see, had angels, although it's impossible and they had no desire to do it, had been able to relate to women, You see, it would have polluted the human being because they were fallen angels and they would have been bringing the nature of evil in a different form into the makeup of the human being. And so it's entirely impossible because, you see, what we said earlier is that from Hebrews 2, verse 16, that truly he did not take on him the nature of angels, even fallen angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And you see, because when God created man and with his marvelously complex DNA, God sealed it in the human in the human being. It's what we call the genetic mode. It means simply the information for the human being is sealed in that genetic mode and God sealed it in the seed of the man. And as being sealed, it could not be interfered with or tampered with in any way possible because it was very important to God. Because God himself was going to identify with the human race. And so it was not going to be possible Because God sealed it. And when you think of the human being, there is nothing like the human being in all of creation. You take the uh, billions of bytes uh, of information in the human brain, no scientist ever will be able to accomplish that wonderful work that God has done, millions of synapses in the human brain, tiny electrical impulses that form this most wonderful and for the want of a better expression, uh, fabulous computer in the human brain. They can't even copy it. And it's because God intended to use this same uh, genetic mode, when he would take a human body, uh, that he sealed it from all outside influence. And I want you to think this morning about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Oh, what a fabulous miracle. Absolutely fabulous miracle. I don't understand it. I stand in awe of this miracle that God the Holy Ghost could come and take the cell of a woman and clothe himself with it and come in to this world for us as a tiny baby to feel everything that we feel so that he could become a faithful high priest in everything pertaining to us. And you know what, brothers and sisters, when I look at the miracle of the incarnation, I think it's the greatest miracle in time and in eternity. I believe that the incarnation Of the Lord Jesus, the Almighty God, clothing Himself with a body like mine. It's a greater miracle than the creation of the world. Far greater. I stand in awe outside of the Incarnation. Because, you see, if there were no incarnation, and you see, this is why God was so jealous over the body of man, because it's going to become his body. And Jesus clothing himself with the body of the human being, because it's in this body that he's going to pay for the salvation of the human race. The writer of the Colossians says that our sins were nailed in his body uh, to that tree. And you know, he took the body and he will never leave the body because in that body he perfectly represents you and I. said. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews, what a wonderful writer, saying that he was tempted in all points. In other words, he was tried in every area that we would be tried and yet without sin. And through that body, he conquered the powers of darkness or the devil that had the power of death. He conquered him and took the power from him yes. and has passed to us, beloved, through that body the everlasting life. What a fantastic work You know that God accomplished through the incarnation. You see, and it's so wonderful. And I want to go back to that verse, that truly, from Hebrews 2, verse 16, truly he did not take on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. And you know, only in recent A couple of years, I I always struggled with this, you know. It's not that I didn't believe it. I believed it 100%. But I thought, you know, this is a bit mean. I used to think that why didn't they go back to Noah? I mean, Abram did great things. Of course, the greatest thing, being prepared to lift the knife... And to kill Isaac, if necessary, was stupendous faith. But surely it was no greater faith than Abraham, withstood perhaps 120 years of of abuse, building a ship (laughs) to float in, and they hadn't even seen rain. You know what a great feat! of faith. And, you know, uh, uh, Noah, too, it's a picture of, of course, uh, resurrection and passing into the next life, you know. They sailed from one world to another world in the ark of salvation, as it were, precisely as we will, you know. And God shut him in. And brothers and sisters, as God shut Laura in, God shut you in. The day you got saved, he said, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Hallelujah. The same way he sealed the genetic code in the human being when he created him. He has sealed the code of divine nature in you by a similar miracle. And he sealed the men, and they sealed from one world to another, and the ark of salvation will go from one world to the other. But this, I I couldn't really grasp this. Why were the Hebrews ignoring Noah and laying all the emphasis on Abraham? It was because Abraham was the father of the Hebrew nation and not Noah. You see, and there was silence. God didn't speak after the exit of Noah and the three boys from the ark for 300 years until he called Abram out of Ur of Chaldees and he traveled to Haran. Stephen in Acts chapter 1 takes up the story And he said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he dwelt in Mesopotamia, but it was the second time that Stephen's talking about. God had spoken to Abraham, that's not recorded, perhaps some 25 or 30 years earlier, and Abram came, and he became the father of the Hebrew nation. And he became distinct, uh, and the Jews became distinct in the world because God appeared to Abraham and made this covenant with him that we read in chapters 12 to 15, but it's actually Abraham's life is 12 to 25 of Genesis, but those early chapters are most important apart from chapter 2, where Isaac is the picture of the Messiah. But you see, what made the Hebrew people distinct, right down even to a hundred years ago, was Revelation, beloved. <clears throat> Abraham had revelation from God, God appeared to Abraham. Several times we find the Lord appearing to Abraham and giving him the command to live for him and circumcision. It was revelation that set the Jewish people apart. And because of revelation, they could see that there was a great future for them. You see, in the recent times, or more recent, since the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we too have revelation. And the two peoples in the earth are distinct from any other peoples because of revelation. First, it was the revelation to the Jews. And even when the Jew was scattered all over the world, he still lived as a Jew, and he was separate from all other peoples. It was revelation that made him distinct. My father was an avid reader, never had a college education, but was self-taught. And he was from a Catholic background, and me too. And when we'd be sitting talking about things, When I thought back later, he had no revelation. He was dark just because of his background and lack of privilege in spiritual things. He used to say to me, there was nothing wrong with the Jews, Michael, except they don't mix. (laughs) They were forbidden to mix. (laughs) And they held to that, of course, the liberal Jews now, which are an insult to the name of Jewish They, uh, just like any other sinner, have given up uh, all Jewish identification. But you know, with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the preaching of the gospel, brothers and sisters, if you go away with anything this morning, go away with a heart full of gratitude for revelation, because the preaching of the gospel has brought to us revelation of the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that makes us possible through the new birth for us to be like him. Hallelujah, 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 all through eternity. There that's transfiguration that will be ours into the image of Jesus will be with us when 10,000 million years have passed. We're going to be like him, radiant in glory and God's purpose in the creation of the human race uh, would be a bride uh, for his son. And you know, the largest portion of it, I haven't time to go into that now, is coming from the Gentile world. The Jews were rejected because they had a choice. They could see the credentials of Jesus, the leaders of the Jews. They chose to reject him. And instead of putting him on the throne, they put him on the cross. We know it was predetermined. Nevertheless, it was their choice. And they've still endured in that rejection after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And Jesus told them in the parable of the vineyard, he said, the father will take the vineyard from you and give it to another. And after a hundred years, the church passed from being Jewish to Gentile by the mercy of God, beloved. And millions, upon millions, upon millions of Gentile people like you and I have come in to be the bride of the Lamb. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Give me a great week. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.